0: Hey everybody, this is Karen Stefano, author of the collection The Secret Games of Words and with me tonight is Bud Smith, author of the novel F-250. How's it going, Bud?
1: It's going pretty good. I'm just kicking around here in uh, my apartment. How are you doing where you're at?
0: I'm doing doing alright. It's it's a, another beautiful day in San Diego. Um, it's it's October and it's supposed to be in the in the low nineties again tomorrow. So we're all kind of kind of over it, um, and are we're we're all envying you Brooklyn folks with your nice cool fall weather.
1: Yeah, it's good here. I mean, I work outside uh, every day, so this is kind of good. Now it's getting into like hooded sweatshirt weather. So yeah. yeah,
0: I'm not complaining. Yeah. I would kill to wear a hooded sweatshirt, but I don't I don't think that's gonna happen for me for another few months. Um, but let me just jump right in here and um because I have a lot of questions for you about your book. Um and I loved it by the way. Anybody who's listening, if you haven't picked it up yet, uh you've gotta get a copy of F Two fifty. Um it's a it's a terrific novel. And um but I wanted to ask you first of all. Um, we we've got our the the main character in F two fifty, Lee Casey, and I I wanted to know how much of Lee is autobiographical. Um, I think that Lee crashes a lot, and I I think that some of the crashing is autobiographical, isn't it? And if if not, correct me and, and, and also share with me what else is autobiographical.
1: Well, um, yeah, the car crash is definitely I I used to have that same truck that the book mm-hmm. is based the title of the book, F-250, That's a Ford F-250 pickup truck. I had the same truck and uh, I used to do a lot of like, heavy work out of it. So I was always full of stone and dirt and this was before I had a cell phone and like now when I cra- if I crashed my car and hit somebody, it'd be like a 99% chance that I'm like on Twitter or something. <laughs> but this was, this was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't stop this truck. It'd be like raining out or icy out and, and just the bed was too full of like material. And we rented a few people, got in a couple of crashes and uh, yeah. So I would say like, you know, there's definitely things in this book that are, um, you know, for sure. Like, Pulled, pulled from my, pulled from my life. Just stories that I, I kind of would like to get in the habit. You tell a story at a party long enough for years, and 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 you kind of learn which ones are the ones from your life that you kind of like to just, just tell people. And uh, some of them kind of get got weaved into this book, but they kind of got weaved onto a fictional character in a way. Because um, I, I don't, I don't feel completely like the narrator of this book. It's more book is kind of like narrated from a slightly different vein to how I think of things, I think, but that's, what's fun. That's what's fun about like an unreliable narrator and, and, uh, turning some of your own memories into, uh, into a a movable piece of fiction. So, so yeah, I'd say like, um, there's pieces of this book that are, are for sure, like things that have happened to me and I'm continuing to do that. Um, I'm working on a novel now, which is more like my memories of my family. Memories of um, my childhood homes uh, that I lived in, but once again, it's getting projected onto uh, to a narrator that's not like myself. The narrator, of this new book is completely different even than even Lee Casey. He's he's not such a great person. So I don't know. I kind of enjoy. It. I kind of enjoy that a little bit.
0: Yeah, kind of I jumping think everybody into somebody does. else's yeah.
1: things. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Well. I, Every- I don't know, sometimes, sometimes you like, I'll read a book and, and you know, you can tell, you can tell that uh, John Fonte was John Fonte, you know? Yeah. But there's that. But yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, that that, that, that so,
0: can yeah. be, if, it, if it's too autobiographical and it's supposed <laughs> to be fiction, that can get. Uh, you know, that that feels like cheating to me, to me you know. Um, you know, pick a, pick a genre and, and stay in
1: it, you know, so. Yeah. Um, well, it's like, you know, you're talking about writing about from an autobiographical point, point and, like, making it into a, a blend of fiction and, and kind of having fun with it and kind of, like, getting kind of scary with it at the same time. I think, I don't know, I think you kind of did, like, some of that in your book, definitely. Like, there's a uh, there's one story in the book that kind of jumped out that way for me the most. Uh, it was one called Mystery Date, which was like it's like an adolescent girl hanging out with a friend, and she gets um, Milton Bradley Mystery Date board game for her birthday. Yeah. Um. So like kind of ask you like the same thing like how much of that how much of that was something that you drew from your own life how much how much was just something that you're just projecting onto like a totally fictional character because there's a lot of things in that story that kind of like do this really cool thing where it's like right on the edge of being like a like a fantastical story in a way that some of the details are like whoa holy shit like for instance you know the um the narrator all of a sudden her her friend's father like calls her up on the phone and like kind of propositions are and then um, you know in the next paragraph uh, it's like revealed okay, you know they dated for a year and then broke up so it was like it started out as this thing where it was like oh holy shit I can't believe this dude is, is like hitting on this you know young girl and then they date for like a year but I don't mean like ask so much of that happened to you but like when, when you were writing your stories do you like how much do you think you kind of like pull from your like memories and veins of things that happened and how much do you just completely go off, go off on a whim. Yeah. I
0: mean, it, it it depends on the story. Um, uh, This one, I I think, you know, this narrator is her, is her own uh, quirky person with her, um, you know, her poor, uh, not necessarily healthy romantic relationships, you know, in the, in the latter part of the story in her, in her um, grown up years but um there's a, there's a lot of um me in this story. Um I definitely played Mystery Date. Um I think it's a completely fucked up board game and um and it's been around forever and I think it I think it still is around. Um and and the the narrator in that story uh you can tell she feels she feels stuck and a lot of her uh you know her talking to herself and these kind of like you know imaginary conversations that we see are a reflection of her loneliness and 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 feeling stuck um and i you know and i felt stuck as an adolescent although i'm not sure i knew enough to name it that at the time um I was, I was an adolescent in a working class household and I had a, lo- a very loving but a very fear-driven mother and as a consequence, I was pretty sheltered and as a consequence of that sheltering in turn, I was bored a lot and yeah. I didn't feel like I had choices and the result was that like this narrator, I lost myself in books a lot. And, um, so, so, so to answer your question, there, there is, there is a lot of, uh, truth in this story. And then of course it, it does veer off in, in other ways that, um, that are truly fictional, but,
1: um. Yeah. I just want want to say something like about, uh, about like the story in general, um, so like I don't know, like I said, like it it really jumped out. as, like a like a pivotal story mystery date, and I think it's actually a, I was like click, gonna mention anybody listening. Uh, well that's on Gloom Cupboard, right? If they want to like get a sample of that story uh, to see what we're talking about, and then buy the book based off that. The um, yeah, the story mystery date. It was like it had this parts in it where like I feel like fiction can never go too far, you know, and like the farther that a story feels like a comical impossibility in reality, probably the closer it is to real deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. No part, no part of like life is tame and, uh, it shouldn't be. So it was kind of cool. It was like, you were talking about in that story about, um, how the girls are like opening up these, these little, didn't need really to have doors or was car just cards flipped over? I forget how it works.
0: Um, yeah i c- mean, you know I do too actually, um, and I think it's evolved over the years, but I remember oh, yeah, it. Like,
1: yeah yeah, now it's probably an iPad game or something, <laughs> yeah,
0: no doubt it's probably an app <laughs> uh,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah on twelve year old yeah, on yeah girls, like
1: that. Um, like. Yeah, like the twelve-year-old girl like dates the wrong guy now. She instantly loses two thousand six hundred Twitter followers or
0: something. <laughs> That's right. I know it's a totally different it's a totally <laughs> different game now. But but yeah, I don't remember exactly. But I think it was a board and like then like something some kind of contraption spun around. And I just remember the door because you're opening the door to your you know to your mystery date again. Com- all
1: completely yeah and there's these things that keep popping up in the story kind of about how how it's like how screwed up it is for like you give like a 12 year old girl like that message where it's like pick the right guy and he'll provide for you and you'll have like this this magical thing called security and like what the hell is that it's almost like this game should have been uh this game should have been like mousetrap you know you flip the (laughs) wrong card and you're uh, and and like you said, the contraption starts spinning, and the marbles come down the little chute, and all of a sudden this this little pin gets popped up, and and you get the little cage that drops down on you, and then you lose and then you lose twenty six hundred Twitter Twitter followers. That's
0: exactly you know I think if if the writing thing doesn't work out, bud, I think you have a great um, future as a, a children's uh, game or app designer. So, you know, think about it. Think about it. Um, I'm so, on. But, you know, I I want to talk for a second about fictitious band names. And another one of the stories in my collection, um, I have one of those and it's a band called Hostile Angels, which I'll share is a is a smash up of one of my high school friends' band's name, which was Hostile Polyester. And uh, smashed up with uh, another friend's early band names, which was something like some angry angel but um, so so uh, that's where my fictitious band name came from but in f two fifty we have the band. Otter Meat, um, which I love. I love that name, and I think I would pay a lot of money to go see a band called Otter Meat. And of course, we have the Bed Spins. So tell me, what was yeah. the inspiration for the names of these bands? I have to. I have to know.
1: Well, it's like if if you're in if you're in a shitty band from New Jersey, um, <laughs> and, and you just play at the dive bar, the dive bars in New Jersey, uh, you, you don't you don't need a like good name. Because, I mean, the names, some of them, they wind up being good, but it's almost like by accident. So, like, you know, I would go to these dive bars when I was, like, <clears throat> the age of the narrator in this book. And, like, it, it's kind of, like, reminiscent of places I go. I go here in the city sometimes down, on, like, the Lower East Side, where, like, the bathrooms are just, like, they haven't been cleaned since, like, 1986. And, like, <laughs> there's no, uh, there's nothing that's painted. It's all covered in stickers. And uh, if you just look around, you can see just these like amazing bands that, you know, may, like maybe they did the same thing that we used to do when we played down in Jersey. We'd make the commute in like uh, in my my shitty pickup truck. I was talking about we load all the amps and guitars and we'd come up to the city and we'd play a show and you'd stick your sticker out there on the bathroom stall and it stays there for a while, you know. So that kind of thing just like that thing kind of just pops in my my head sometimes about like the impermanence of, like, art and, like, how a band can just be, like, a throwaway thing. And it's kind of like a reflection kind of about how I think about my writing, too. It's just I don't put a whole lot of thought into it um, sometimes with just throwing crap together, and that's truth. Uh, so that's, that's what I'm saying. But the, um, for example, that is like like like, can you name your band, like, Otter Meat? You know, like, h- how far are you going to get with a name, like, Otter Meat? You know, <laughs> are they going to play you on on the Top 40 ever, are you going to be on MTV? Are you going to be one of these bands that people talk about? Who knows? I mean, like, it's just silly. When you think about the names of bands that got big, it's like some of them are just so stupid. Um, Bed Spins was a cover band, a fake cover band in F-250. And uh, whenever I'd be out out at a bar uh, in my youth and there'd be a cover band playing, I hated it. It was like the worst thing ever. And you couldn't get away from it either because there wasn't a whole lot of like original music they played down at the Jersey shore. It was like, you'd go to the the bar by the ocean and there'd be some idiot playing like late eighties rock. And I just remember always my friends, we would just get so wasted being around that miserable music and just going home and getting the bed spins. You'd lay down and, close your eyes and like the whole room would spin in the dark. It was just like miserable drunken nights at the Jersey Shore listening to cover bands. So I wanted to name the cover band after that, after that horrible feeling. Yeah. gee, I have no you know?
0: idea what you're talking about. I've never had that feeling.
1: No. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> next time we hang out, I'll, next time we hang out, I'll show you. Yeah. But yeah, I think, okay. I think I, uh, I think, I think I've had the bed spins. I haven't had them for a long time uh, It's like a, a thing of uh probably from drinking too much uh jagermeister and, and garbage garbage liquor yeah. from when I was younger
0: yeah, but, yeah. Uh, i've I'm happy to say that it's it's been quite a few years since i've I've suffered from the bed spins but um hopefully hopefully the are they are behind me, but who knows
1: yeah it could have been could've been let me see the bed spins the mouse, the mouth sweats. How about, um, could have named, could have named the band Puking Out Your Passenger Side Window. Um, <laughs> it's, I could have called endless, endless the band DWI Piggy Bank. There's, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of options here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, let, let me ask you something else. Um, uh, place in F two fifty seems to be an important piece of the novel. And a lot of the activity takes place in what uh what's the uh is called the Lagoon House. And and here I just want to read a, a brief quote from chapter three. Lagoon house had a haunted ethereal feel as if time was stuck in heavy slime. So give me your own view as, as its creator of the significance of Lagoon House in Lee's story.
1: Well, what it is, is it's like a dilapidated house. It's a rental house. And when, um, when I say it's on the lagoons, is if, if, if people listening are familiar with what I mean by like the area where there's like lagoons, it's off the bay. So like you got the ocean side, then you got the bay side. Uh, <clears throat> now like the bay side, it's like nice houses, you know. But there's like little pockets of like the older houses that are old, older and dilapidated. And the lagoons have docks on them, and you can take a you can take a boat out in the bay, and then if you're adventurous enough, go far around to the ocean. But uh, these guys, they, they live in a, they live in a house with a rotted dock and they don't have a boat because they got wrecked and they took the boat out and, and the engine died and they had to, uh, basically abandon the boat and swim back. And, and they're just a bunch of 20 something wrecks, um, which, uh, you know, it's, it's romantic in one little way, but it's also kind of, it's, it's like you are stuck in slime in a way. Yeah. These, uh, the characters in the book, they're all Lee Casey's friends and Lee's, uh, the guy who plays guitar in the band, and he's he's been out of the area. He's traveled out of Jersey. But um, the other characters, I you know, you can't even tell if they've even made it as far as as Philadelphia, New York City, anywhere, Washington, D.C., anywhere beyond, like, the immediate realm of just living in the suburbs. And Lee, when he comes back, he's kind of, like, reporting, reporting on, like, these things that are beyond – so, like, he comes back to Lagoon House and, and his friends are <clears throat> asking him about what's so great about California where he was just at. And he's got a report back to the 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 people who live there in his Lagoon House. He's telling them about huevos rancheros. And they're looking at him like he's, like, talking about the lost city of gold. They don't even they don't know what that is. So, I don't know. Lagoon House is just this place where people to come back to, like, stuck. It's like stuck, or you never fully develop. You're you're comfortable. You're just out of your parents' house, and then you didn't evolve past that. It's that first crappy place you go and rent with your 8 of your friends, and you know everybody's paying four hundred dollars a month rent. And that's all they can possibly afford because they're not going to get a better job ever. These aren't college kids. They're not. They're not making that next step. The best thing they can hope maybe is somebody at their job, you know, dies and they get a promotion or something. The, um, they're at the auto parts store where they work at the counter or, you know, this girl who works as a, she works at the cash register at the dollar store. Maybe she'll get promoted to the manager. There's just not a whole lot going on. Yeah. So these are not I think
0: good. that, I think yeah.
1: that's, yeah, it's reflective of like every little dumpy place where people are, where people are, uh, congregating right out, right out of high school, but not making the next step. So yeah, you know, that answers your question there. Um, so you know, it's, it's like, I don't know, did you ever, did you ever come across much of that after you were through with your, your education or are you kind of like found your way?
0: You know, I, I, I pretty much found my way, but, um, I definitely, have or had friends who who lost their way and were in the in the San Diego equivalent of of the lagoon house um yeah uh so yeah so you know when you know the the, the kids at the lagoon house are you know they're stuck in their own way you know um yeah. and it's it's like it, you know, it's like, it's all fun and games and everybody's partying and laughing and everything else. But it's, there's, you know, I definitely felt the undercurrent of, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's tragedy. It's, it's, it's a waste. It's a waste of, of a life. And, um, and, you know, and, and I think it just takes some kids, um, longer to find, to find their way. Um, But, you know, hopefully at some point they find it and they're not living in the equivalent of the lagoon house when
1: they're, say, 50, you know. I'd say, like, one of the things that kind of um, (laughs) woke me up a little bit, which kind of, like, burst me out of my, like, routine of, like, what I was into was when, like, a local video store burnt down because we used to go and we would get these VHS tapes and just get, you know, wrecked and and watch movies, and you could, like, rent two and get get a third for free, like these 99-cent vhs tapes. And, like, I don't know, I kind of bring up the the movie thing because as I was reading your book, uh, I don't know, there's, like, a bunch of stories in here that I could see as... Some of them as good movies, and some of them as, even better, like, really weird B-movies, the kind of things that I used mm-hmm. to love to watch, like, almost, like, little not quite Coen Brothers movies, but I was like wondering if there's anything in your book you would like see as a movie.
0: Yeah. it, it It's funny that the only it, people have told me, um, I don't know if you remember the story in, um, in the collection called undone where it's done in these vignettes prompted by um, questions on the Minnesota multiphasic personality inventory. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so a couple of people have told me, "Wow, I, I, totally seeing that being adapted as a film," and and I can I can kind of see that. Um, but I actually I don't I I kind of see what you're saying, like the kind of the Coen Brothers, um, and you know B movie kind of just weird and out there. Adaptations, but for the most part i don't really i don't see the the work in in the secret games awards really making that translation just because maybe you have, maybe you have a different vision than I have and but my stories are just so character driven and yeah. the the change in the conflict is so it's so internal that i just I just don't really see them as as being as being um, um uh, being films with the exception with the exception of Undone, but but if you're gonna do an adaptation, um, by all means, uh, feel free <laughs> to use any one of
1: them. <laughs> okay. I'll let you know. The like okay. the thing, the reason why, reason why I mentioned that with the movies too is because it's like, like that's the interesting thing with short stories, because there there's a bunch of, like I said, I we still watch a lot of a lot of movies, and like um. Some of them were like, I can think back to like, the, it was like Kurt Vonnegut short stories that they had turned into like these little films. And like, when you'd watch the movie, it, it'd be like, how the hell are they making this into a movie? And they had one that was like adapted with um, uh, the cowbell guy. What the hell's his name? More cowbell. Um, uh, Christopher Walken. Oh, Christopher uh-huh. Walken and, and, and Susan Sarandon. They were in this movie where they were like putting on a play. And, uh, they were kind of like just really awkward, weird people who were like slow in slow motion falling in love, but only on stage. Like they hate, they didn't like each other in person. So it was like this kind of, this kind of film where you're kind of like, wow, I don't, I don't really, this is such a bizarre, a bizarre thing to be made into a movie. And I read the, I read the short story and I was like, oh, okay. They're both no, awkward and weird. It's great. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. So you can. It, if you ever find a video of a VHS uh, video store that hasn't burnt down, look for that one.
0: Okay, I will. It's it's funny <laughs> sometimes that when I'll see a film that's based on a story or um, or a novel, and then then when you when you go and and you actually read the book or the story after having seen the film, it's almost like a translation. It's like, oh, okay, I get it now. So um, uh, talk about awkward and weird. I don't know if you can hear it, but my cat this whole time has been like screaming at me. So um, if you hear something um, screeching in the background, that's what it is. So um, uh, anyway, um, so... I want there was something else that I wanted to ask you about Lee Casey and F two fifty. Um and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the lagoon house and just, you know, people kind of being stuck. But um early early in the novel, Lee has just returned to New Jersey. And about that return he says, and here I'm gonna read a quote. He says, you can't outrun where you're from anyway. Try all you want. It's no use. Do you do you believe that, bud? Have you ever tried to outrun where you're from?
1: I do believe that. I definitely believe that that uh you can't you can't really get away from your earliest memories as a kid. You can't get away from the people who raised you for good or bad. You can't get away from your first fist fights with people who you thought were your friends when you were in grade school or the person you fell in love with for the first time who was repulsed by the idea, (laughs) you can't, you can't get away from any of that stuff. And like, no, yeah, I do believe no matter where, where you go in your life, you can't get away from it and it's going to continue to inform how you age. And I've seen it happen to me as I get older. And I look back on some of the decisions I've made based off of good things that happened or bad things that happened as a result of those initial first steps. But like to answer the second part of your question, I haven't tried out outrun anything because I still live and I don't think living where you're from is really the root of the question anyway. But I think a lot of it is your family. I haven't tried to get away from my family. Um, or my young my friends from my youth. I haven't I haven't really tried to distance myself much from anybody because I I don't really think they'll let you get too far if if you do halfway decent enough job to let them get to know you. So I. But back to location. Me and my wife moved to New York City, which is basically an hour and fifteen minutes from where we grew up. But I mean, we're 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 down in our hometowns like. Basically, half the weekends out of the year we're down there, so uh, it's like deja vu all over again every time you pull back into, into those towns. And sometimes I'll read I'll read a story. Uh, I think it's like a common kind of trope in a short story thing, but I always enjoy when people do it. Of that, uh, you know, the person returning for Thanksgiving weekend and going out, just even like I read a great one the other day on Hobart, where this this uh, girl was at at the checkout line and. And uh, the guy who was the, the cashier was somebody she remembered from eighth grade. And she's surprised that he, he's just working as a cashier still. Um, or like a s- stories I've read where people are just drinking at the bar on, uh, what would that be? What's the night before, before uh, Thanksgiving called the Wednesday when everybody drinks? It has a name. I can't remember.
0: It does? And like you're looking
1: around and it does, yeah. It's like the biggest party night of the year. Uh, I didn't you know, had so a name, well if it doesn't have a name. I'm, let's think of one right now. Let's call it wacky. <laughs> it it's me. called Wacky Wednesday. How's that, Wacky Wednesday? Okay,
0: Wacky Wednesday. We, we, <laughs> okay, boom.
1: It's yeah. Me. When you're on a Wacky okay. Wednesday, and you look across the bar, and you saw that person you slept with 20 years ago, and maybe they look better or they look worse, and they recognize you after that, and you're hoping maybe hope maybe I look better than I did, or hopefully I don't look worse you cannot you cannot run that stuff when you're down down in your hometown half the weekends out of the year, so I don't even try
0: Yeah, well that's that's, uh, that's a good that's a good point that's a good point and probably a healthy approach so um we're just we're just about out of time here um but I wanted to ask you one more question about. F-250 and then if you want you can ask me another quick question but tell me about the inspiration for the character Kay Neon and by the way I totally identify with her fair um, slash invisible eyebrows Um, it is a true curse that uh, we fair people struggle with so I totally glommed on to that detail about this person but what's the inspiration for her?
1: Well the inspiration is is like a, it's a few things like it's a quarter of like the some of the girls i knew when i was younger so there's that of course and then another quarter of that is probably just pop culture girls that i've just like seen in different movies maybe uh like i can tell you the, uh, another another character in the book Maybe reminds me of somebody from World Ten of Bounds or something like that. So it's just like a big, a big mix of different things, kind of like a collage. But um, as far as like the name, the name and stuff, like K Neon, like what's K's real name? It's not K. Uh, it could be like many different things. And her last name, what's the chances? It's Neon. It's Kind of just like this, this, this like thing where I thought it was kind of neat, just to like make it a little bit ridiculous. I just yeah. read a, um, a book a book by, uh, Misty Rainwater Lights that I really, really liked, uh, before I wrote F-250 and it was called Bullshit Rodeo. And, um, it's basically like her life, uh, her autobiographical little stories kind of like fictionalized and it was pretty cool. And I enjoyed that a lot. I wrote an email. I told her I liked the book and then she told me that she kind of based it off something that Henry Miller wrote. So I was like, Oh, cool. I have never read that guy. And then I was just like, all right, I think I want to write my own version of kind of this kind of thing. So Misty had this dude in the book called Dan Zero. And I was like, all right, well, instead of calling this girl Kate, she's going to be K, K Neon. And I just went from there. So it's just a stylized kind of – I think a lot of the girls in the book, unfortunately, but that's just the way it's written, are are heavily stylized and almost a little – more than a little unrealistic – um, and the narrator, he has this, this thing where he's pumping up, uh, the way he thinks about girls, that's definitely unrealistic and not, not particularly the way I, I think about, uh, women, especially now at age 33, um, where he, he'll, he says some things and, and does some things that you can look back on somebody who's 23 as their narrator and you're like, oh, okay. This is a guy who would call this girl K Neon, you know. Yeah. It's just kind of yeah. a silly thing. This yeah, sort of and
0: thing. I and, but, and I know you and I and I've and I've met your wife and um I definitely didn't for a second uh mistake the you know, some of the kind of the the views of of Lee and his friends toward women. I there's no way anyone who knows you would ever uh uh, misinterpret that as Bud Smith speaking for Bud Smith. There's no way. So. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, not 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 that it matters. Honestly, if you're gonna if you're gonna write a book, if somebody projects projects on you, that's cool. I got no problem with that either. Um, yeah.
0: Whatever.
1: So, right. all right. I want to ask you one, one thing before this ends because I feel like a lot of times when I read short story books. It's like, you know, you get to that point in the book where I'm reading the stories and I'm like, whoa, where the hell did this story come from? Something that just kind of came out of left field, but in a good way. And I don't think a lot of writers are even conscious of the fact that they've done it even after the fact that the book is out. So you can kind of like, I've had people mention to me, they're like, what's what, where did this story come from? What's the deal with it? But I was wondering, do you have any stories like that in your book where, where they just surprised you? and kind of like they kind of like almost like you woke up the next day and the story was written and you're like, what the hell is this thing? Where did it even come from? Do you have any example of that?
0: Um, well, yeah. Um. I think every single story that I write is, is an example of that because you know, you sit down with something that you you've been inspired by—a phrase, a scene, something—and then you've got to take that someplace, right? Um, you don't, you know, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to sit with it and then make it go somewhere. And so, every single thing, every single scene I ever write, I I constantly surprise myself. You know, it's like. I had no fucking idea that character was going to say that or do that or feel that. And, um, and that's, you know, that's, that's for me anyway. And I think for a lot of writers, that's really where the magic is. And that's where I feel just a thrill um, when I, when I'm writing and, but there, there are other times too though, but where I'm, I'm surprised I'm surprised by what doesn't happen um, on the page. So, for example, I've got, you know, like most writers, I, I keep, I have 8 jillion uh, notebooks, um, my, my writer's journals, and I have ideas and I have little, you know, clever things that I've, jotted down that I think are going to go into a story or be the um, bricks and mortar of a story. And then I'll sit down to try to write it. And it's really, and it's something I feel deeply. It's something that moves me. It's something, it, it it seems like it's just a story that's dying to be told. And then I'll sit down and try to tell it on the page. And it just, it just doesn't come out right. And, and so that surprises me too. Um I've I, I used to work um for this really big nationally known law firm and it was it was just so dysfunctional and um just tons of outrageous comedic things happened and and so of course all those got jotted down and then i I just thought that they would just come together on the page so easily, and they've never I've never been able to turn them into into anything and maybe i will maybe I'll figure out how to do it someday but but that's kind of, that that's a surprising thing um to me and and uh and maybe it's because they are, you know, the the true events that happened are so absolutely outrageous that when I try to put them down on the page, it just seems like, you know, it's like, you know, I'm writing cartoon characters. But, but anyway, but to answer your question, the, you know, the, you know, I'm surprised what does come out and what does work, and then I'm I'm kind of equally surprised by um, by what I can't what I can't get to work. So. Yeah. Um.
1: But, yeah,
0: I don't know. If yeah, I've it's kind of it's of
1: really it. like really, really, no, it makes complete sense what you said about uh you're worried about people being cartoons and if some if anything is funny funny as hell, uh, yeah that totally happens. I had um had that happen uh, with a book I was writing when I was younger, um called Toll and the guy was just such a fucking cartoon. So every time I Every time I had a chance, I had him eating a, a payday candy bar, drinking a Coca Cola, or something—anything just to ground him in, in reality, like some kind yeah. of brand or something. So there's, you know, yeah. all those, all those stupid jokes. Yeah.
0: So, um, well, I guess I guess it's time that we should wrap this up. But uh, to everyone who's listening, if you haven't gotten your copy of F two fifty yet get get it. Um it's a terrific book uh written by a terrific guy. Um and uh I, I promise you guys will will love it. So Bud, thank you so much for um joining me this evening and I hope that I get to talk to you soon. And in the meantime I guess I'll I'll see you on Facebook and all those other places you haunt.
1: Yeah, it was really cool talking to you. Thanks for uh thanks for talking to me about this stuff.
0: Yeah, you too. Have a good night, Bud.
1: All right. Later.
0: Bye. Okay. Bye.